This is The Guardian. I'm Grace Dent and this is Comfort Eating from The Guardian. A podcast where we pay homage to the lesser celebrated foods in life. Because even as a restaurant critic, I believe the food that matters most is often that snack you cobble together when you're curled up on the sofa. Each week, I ask my guest to lift the lid on what comfort foods have seen them through their lives. Because you can tell a lot about a person from what they eat behind closed doors. Hello, friends. Now, you might have noticed on your TV screens that I am currently out of the country. I am on the Australian Gold Coast. I'm in the jungle. I can't tell you what I'm doing right now. Eating sheep's eyeballs, perhaps. Maybe I'm being locked in a box with some rats. Who knows? What you're about to hear is something that we recorded just before I left, when I was in a far happier place. I was cosy in my own home. And I was planning to get my pyjamas on and eat some mashed potato on the sofa when the interview was finished. I am so far from the ability to comfort eat right now. Please have an extra buttery crumpet on my behalf, will you? Please, can you do that? Also, if you're doing your Christmas shopping, please consider my book, Comfort Eating, which is out now. And with masses of nostalgia and stories about the making of the podcast and tales of delicious food, really. Okay, over and out. Enjoy the show. Hello, friends. You find me as ever here in my kitchen, just getting ready to welcome today's guest. She is British comedy royalty. You'll probably know her from the legendary Black Books, or maybe Green Wing, or Episodes, or Friday Night Dinner. I could go on. Yes, it is Tamsin Gregg herself on her way over here right now. I cannot wait. And she's coming on the tube too. She would not take the taxi that we offered her. She is a true woman of the people. Before she gets here, I think it is finally time to unwrap the last slice of banana bread that I have been sneakily saving right for this moment. You've got to put chocolate in it, or it's just dangerously close to a health food. Mm. I am so excited to chat to Tamsin today. I want to find out how it all started and what weird and wonderful foods fueled her on her way to TV, film and theatre glory. See, if you weren't listening, I'd definitely put some Nutella on this. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. At Mint Mobile, we like to do the opposite of what Big Wireless does. They charge you a lot, we charge you a little. So naturally, when they announced they'd be raising their prices due to inflation, we decided to deflate our prices due to not hating you. That's right. We're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. 
Finding your perfect home was hard, but thanks to Burrow, furnishing it has never been easier. Burrow's easy-to-assemble modular sofas and sectionals are made from premium, durable materials, including stain and scratch-resistant fabrics. So they're not just comfortable and stylish, they're built to last. Plus, every single Burrow order ships free right to your door. Right now, get 15% off your first order at burrow.com slash ACAST. That's 15% off at burrow.com slash ACAST. Tamsin Greg, <laughs> welcome to Comfy. I'm really excited to be here. What I love is that the flowers you've got on your table match your dress. Yeah. This is what I do. This is what I do. It's just me. I wish sometimes that you could see me about four hours before this <laughs> all happens, just wandering around in a, in, in a slightly stained pair of Asda pajama bottoms. Just those, not just the top. that. Yeah, braless, ch- chest out. <laughs> I mean, you need. I mean, otherwise you just get like chafing, don't you? You came here today on the London Underground. Yeah, I did. Yeah. Now this completely supports my theory that the more famous and recognizable the person the less hassle they are hassle they are or hassle they get no the less hassle they are as a person Stephen Fry drove himself here did he Joe Brand drove herself here after a funeral no problem whatsoever but then you get people that have been famous for four and a half minutes yeah and they want to be brought here on a sedan chair. <laughs> In a private train. <laughs> yeah. It's that time again for my guests to reveal their ultimate home alone comfort snack. Comes in. What have you brought for me? <laughs> Unleash the snack. Okay, you ready? Oh, how pretty. Doesn't that look pretty? Now. Yeah. Explain what's in front of me. Okay, so we've got some nice seeded brown bread that's toasted, Yes. right? And when it's still like super hot from the toaster, you put butter on Mm. and then you put peanut butter on very quickly so the peanut butter starts to melt as well. Yes. And then on one side, you put marmite, you mix that in. And then on the other side, you put marmalade and then sliced banana. It has to be length sliced. Not round sliced. Because you've also got a little bit of um, sliced apple there, which is a kind of palate cleanser. This could often be a late night snack after filming or the theatre. Right. The peanut butter with the marmalade and the banana, right, is pudding. Okay. So the peanut butter with marmite slightly melted is mains. Okay. So you should really start with mains. Should we start with mains? Yeah. Let's eat the mains. Now, so what you've basically got is one piece of toast but you've made it into two separate courses yeah but with almost like a a, a fruit side salad yeah which is oh, we're gonna eat, oh, we're gonna oh, eat oh, okay. oh. i mean this this uh i love your podcast but this is the worst part for me okay why listening to other people masticating excuse me mm, you know that the chewing yeah that's terrible so many people get in touch and go I love this podcast, yeah. but I can't stand You're people spittle. chewing. And I'm like, mm. season five, babes. <laughs> Why do you season, keep coming back? Season five. Aversion like, therapy. What, I'm going to keep listening also, to this. That's a lot of Marmite. That's a lot of Marmite, but that's good because now take a bit of apple. Mm-hmm. 
It's like Chinese tea, isn't it? It's a real palate cleanser. I've never had apple so close after Mama. Yeah. And it totally makes sense. Do you see what I mean? It slightly cleans your teeth because there's always a little bit of um, residue, isn't there? Okay, you can go in for a bit of pudding now because the beauty of this is you can go for pudding mm-hmm. but then go back to mains. Okay. I apologise to all your listeners who are hearing this um, bolus going around my mouth. So you were born in 1966 and you grew up in northwest London with your dad, Eric, and your mum, Anne. You were one of three sisters. Mm. So is this a noisy house? Well, it was because there were also five lodgers and a handful of cats. It was a flat, you know, one of those old, really old mansion blocks that was really a kind of glorified shithole. And... um, Well, my dad started having children when he was nearly 60. They had three children, bing, 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 one a year for three years. Then my dad said, oh, we should stop now. And mum was ready to keep going, but he was quite elderly. But they'd lost all their money. They bought a business to sort of look after her and the children Mm because he was, you know, kicking on. They lost the business. They lost everything. Moved to London. And my mum went out to work as a secretary because dad was too old by that point to work. So he became a house husband. Is there, is, is there an age gap between you? you might 27 well, tw- actual wow. years between them. I know. Yeah. But they didn't have enough money to live on her secretary's salary. Mm. So they rented out three rooms in which they put five lodgers. So there were 10 of us living in this flat with one toilet. No way. I mostly weed in a bucket out the back door. So it was quite I... noisy. <sighs> in a kind of Pinterest way do you know what I mean yes everything was kind of wet and there's no heating a lot of mold ice on the inside of the windows in the winter us three we all shared a room because the other rooms were filled with lodgers looked out onto this bit where there was no sunshine and the outside drain always got blocked so that was one of our jobs to go and unblock the drain you had one older sister one younger sister Mm. what were you like as a kid I think I felt things very deeply. Mm. But in the 70s and with an older father, it was they didn't know what to do with that. Mm. And I remember, you know, like putting on plays because my dad was at home, making him sit with maybe one of the lodgers to, mm. to watch the play, which was all candle lit. It was, you know, it was a terrible fire hazard. But my dad would always fall asleep and I would always be very upset but I also did, I mean, I'd do choreographies in my bedroom, you know, listen to music and like do a big routine, which I'd make my young sister join in with. We also played rounders in our bedroom. And like the bunk bed would be like first base and then second base would be like the top of the wardrobe. So we broke quite a lot of furniture and then had to sort of um, prop it up with various different toys so we was, weren't found out. How does your dad cope with living in this very female household. Well, with all the lodges were male. Oh. Yeah. So, so yeah, so it balanced blokes. it out. And most of the cats were male, I think. So, yeah. But he was in a little world of his own. He um, he was born in 1905. So had seen catastrophic changes through the last decade. But was sent at the age of 21 off to India because he'd done chemistry at university. And there was, happened, someone happened to know that there was a job in India 
in one of the mills creating the dye stuffs because he was a colour chemist. So in 1926, he sent off on at the age of 21. He's never been abroad. I love that you're now much older talking about this. And instead of it becoming more normal, it looks as if it makes less sense to you now that your your dad was older and he'd seen so much. It's it's almost as if you've, as you've moved through your life, you realise that, that was a really big age gap. You know what I mean? Already. Yeah. And we didn't ask at the time. Yeah. And that's the thing I really regret. When my dad had me in the early 70s, mm-hmm. he was in his 40s and that was considered old. Yeah. What was your experience? Well, we often got, um, oh, yeah, with your granddad. Oh. And I'd go, no. Not help them and say that it was my dad. I'd just go, no. But we, it was just like, that's what it was like. You know, we all, so we all got it. Your dad was doing the bulk of the childcare. Mm-hmm. So, okay, you're coming from school. What's mm-hmm. he cooked? We were spent so much time trying to avoid his strange um, culinary experiments. Mm-hmm. He was a great experimenter. And because he'd lived in India and Pakistan and Hong Kong, he'd picked up things while he was at the... So we'd have a, you know, we'd have a curry that he'd have made or some experiment of Chinese food without much knowledge. But because it didn't taste like, you know, the Chinese up the road, which we went to once a year, we'd go, I can't eat this. So he'd just go and take it out and maybe cook some sausages. And um, we never had... You know, like now, you'd go, oh, just spaghetti, just do it. It's very easy. Just yes. we, That's our quick dish. We never had pasta at home. Mm-hmm. It just was not a thing in the 70s. Yeah. It was weird. Yeah. But our posh going out, which you got on your birthday, only once a year, was to go to this same Italian restaurant. And we'd, I'd just have spaghetti bolognese. And that was like yeah. the summit of glory. Yes. Because we were out. It was our birthday. And I knew what I liked. And it tastes exactly the same. Spag ball. Uh, yeah. It never, like, I just think it, it, never, it never fails. But the, the the excitement, though, of going to that place once a year and yeah. always having the same And my mum, who was, um, she was a performer, so she presented quite loudly, <laughs> which I think was a distraction from the very tiny person inside. Right, hang on. Your mum, what kind of performer? Well, she was born in Leeds and had a very unhappy childhood and knew that she didn't want to be defined by that unhappiness. So it became quite grand and the, the, it became quite posh. So got rid of the, the Leeds accent very early on and just became very, very well-spoken and, and too loud, just too, just, just slightly too loud. Just, like my, a, just a little bit. It's like, my sister got, when we were coming back from But like on shopping, a bus, if you're yeah. on a bus. My sister got off the bus because my mum's voice was slightly too loud. She, what was she like in shops? No, no, too loud. Just, no, too loud. She would shout your name over there to try and get your attention and I would just hide. Did she work all week and then she was off on the weekends? Yeah. So what happens when she comes back? Does she take over and look, look after the kids then? No, Saturdays. <laughs> she had coffee and cigarettes. That was breakfast, which she'd have till noon in her bed. There were quite a lot of, um, you know, in the wincyette sort of covers that they had in the 70s, there were a lot of burns. 
like little burn holes because yes. they, they weren't going to buy a new one. And my dad has to bring all the yeah, instant coffee, never, ever fresh coffees, always instant coffee. And she'd read the Telegraph and all the paper would be everywhere and also surrounded by cats on the bed. And my dad would be cooking up some weird monstrosity in the kitchen. And Did she ever go in the kitchen? Only when he, he had to come out, he had to leave the kitchen and she would go in the kitchen, she would close the door and she would bake so Saturday was for baking and she would bake the most brilliant things like lemon meringue pies and huge Victoria sponges with fresh cream and gooseberry full and palmiers, did which you, are really hard. Did you like these cakes? They were delicious. Meringues, yeah. but she would smoke all the way through while she was baking. <laughs> so, she, so I'm sure there were bits of ash dropping in, you know, like, what is that in the palmier? That's just a bit of, it's fine. It's fine. Just blow it off. And um, at Christmas, like she'd make, she'd, she'd get marzipan balls and dip them in dark chocolate and put hundreds and thousands. I mean, did you help with this? We weren't allowed in. What? She'd t- put the radio on, Radio 3, very loud classical music, smoking. The only interaction we were allowed is if she ran out of something and then she'd write it on a, on a piece of paper and we had to go down to the shop and hand it in and say, could we have this please? But often they couldn't read her handwriting. So then I'd come back with a box of cornflakes, terrified, because I knew nobody in the house ate cornflakes. It was too posh. On what she wanted was cornflour. Awful. It feels like you're really fond about your mother. You're not saying she was absent. I feel she was there. Well, she was loud when she was there. So even when she was uh, not accessible because she was in the kitchen baking up a storm. So we knew that she was there because she, you know, she sort of spilled over into the rest of the flat. And then she'd sometimes give us money to go down to Wimpy because she then didn't want to cook on a Saturday because she'd done all the baking. And then the baking lasted all week. I try to explain the Wimpy to people that are younger than me, but I never feel like it translates properly. You know what I mean, don't you? The, The Wimpy such a massive deal it felt as if it was our first taste of america yeah, exactly so you went there and they had knickerbocker glory yeah and just those just that just kind that of li- bun, the, just the burger yes. bun the bun do you remember that yeah yeah, yeah. and this and they're not they're not french fries but slightly thicker but not chunky fries your mum was into amateur dramatics so did you get your interest in acting from her she, she did amdram when they lived abroad because that sort of scene was quite was seen as sort of semi-professional in the kind of expat community. So she yeah. did Andram stuff when they were abroad, but not when they came back. And I think she, you know, that was a sort of loss for her. Um, but you're doing plays as well. You're like I was doing your... plays at school yeah. and plays that were made up at home. But I was also a dancer. So I went and did ballet for years and years and then and then contemporary dance. And, um, uh, and then trampolining, obviously, that's the natural progression, isn't it? and um, so I was always kind of you know embodied so you grow up you move away but then you come back to Kilburn Mm. to look after your parents not just your dad also your mum what's what happened there Uh, well dad was like pushing 90 Mm. By that point and um you know you know somewhere that people are gonna die but also because mm. my dad had his yeah. first heart attack when i was six 
Yeah. So there was always that sense of like, well, he's going to go soon. You, know, my mum's like, yes, mm. this is it. This is it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So preparing. So I thought that her best. She thought the best way of dealing with the pain of the possibility of losing was to say he might die. Yeah, yeah. And so from the age of six, you just think, well, my dad's going to die, mm. and then he he doesn't die for nearly thirty years. Yeah. When you get to the point where my mum was like, I just wish he'd go. She was like, I can't take another attempt at dying. <laughs> But weirdly, dad died when he was 92 mm. and three years later, mum died. She was only 67, but yeah. I think she'd sort of gone, right, well, I don't need to worry anymore about him. And then she didn't really care for herself. I mean, you don't care for yourself when you're determined to smoke every cigarette that was ever made. But with mum, we knew. So we were, it was a different letting go. I was quite surprised yes. even when she was 92. Yeah, you know, and, and that, things didn't work anymore. I was going to say, you've been around it all the time it's been hanging in the air but did you still go through shock i was driving to birmingham because we used to record in birmingham on this radio show that i was on and um i got do you remember pages yes. did you have a pager yeah. so i got a pager message it was my mum's the home number so i came off the services and i phoned mum and she said he's gone and I started crying on the phone and went into the loos. I don't think I've ever told anybody this in public. And I went into the loos and I cried in the loo and then I came out and then I was washing my hands and then I started shaking and crying again. And this woman came up to me and she said, are you all right? And I said, I'm sorry, I've just had some quite bad news. And she said, can I do anything? I said, no, 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 it's just, it's just, um, I, my, my dad's just died and I've got to get in my car, I've got to drive to work. And she said, why? I said, well, because I've, I'm working, I'm working in Birmingham. I've got to be there because they only record at that time. That's the time I've got to be there. So I've got to be there. So I can't, I can't do this. I've got to get in my car and I've got to get to. She said, go home, go home. And I said, y yes, but you don't understand because this is the only time that they record. And then she went silent, this woman, and looked at me and she, it looked like she was sort of sweating. And she went, are you Debbie? And Debbie is the name of the character that I play in this radio show called The Archers. Yeah. And so then she became quite excited. <laughs> oh, my God. So I was like, I know, I'm not Debbie. Well, I mean, I play Debbie, but, you know, I'm, I'm not. So then she was trying to take care of me, but also really excited. And she went, you've got to go home. You've got to go. I can't believe I've met you. You've got to go home. But it was brilliant because I got in the car and I drove home. And without her, I would just have got back in my car and driven and done my job because that's what you do. You do your job. <laughs> and I went to the, what is it, a morgue where they where the where the body is? Yes. I walked in and I could see my dad. I've never seen my dad like lying out because he was also like that hunched over. Yeah. I'd never seen up his nose. So that was weird. So I walked up alongside him. And I went, oh, look at his nose. Because yes. he's got a wonky septum just like me. And I've got, I'll show you now. Yes. Can you see? It's wonky. Yeah, yeah. And no one else in my family have got it. And at that moment, I was, I was so delighted that there was something connecting me with my dead dad. That he's also got a wonky septum. Isn't that And I would yeah. never have seen it. That was a gift as well. Hey. 
Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. Recently, I asked Mint Mobile's legal team if big wireless companies are allowed to raise prices due to inflation. They said yes. And then when I asked if raising prices technically violates those onerous two-year contracts, they said, what the f*** are you talking about, you insane Hollywood ass. So to recap, we're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows full terms at mintmobile.com. Finding your perfect home was hard, but thanks to Burrow, furnishing it has never been easier. Burrow's easy-to-assemble modular sofas and sectionals are made from premium, durable materials, including stain and scratch-resistant fabrics. So they're not just comfortable and stylish, they're built to last. Plus, every single Burrow order ships free right to your door. Right now, get 15% off your first order at burrow.com slash ACAST. That's 15% off at burrow.com slash ACAST. Hello, Grace Dent here. One more thing. If you love comfort eating, then you'll love my new book, Comfort Eating, what we eat when no one's looking. It's available order now. There's an ebook and an audiobook if you want me to read it to you, with chapter headings like Why Butter Makes Everything Better and Why Potatoes Are Proof of a Higher Power. How Can You Resist? Comfort Eating is packed with funny, moving stories about my family and my childhood, as well as recipes and stories about recording the show. Like your mother, you developed this love of acting and you head to Birmingham Uni mm. to do drama and theatre arts. So no more of dad's curries, no more <laughs> of mother's bacon. What are you eating when you're an undergrad? Well, bizarrely, a few months before I went away to university, I started going out with this bloke who was a French chef. So yeah. I didn't have to cook. He's a chef. I mean, it was a disaster. I, I, I was know a, huge. I know a lot of chefs. Basically, what they do is they make something and then they just put nine times the amount of butter into it. And then you go, God, this is so delicious. This is how have you done this? Yeah. This is, and then it's because there's this so, is much. so much butter and just a little bit of sugar. Yeah, <clears throat> butter and sugar. Perfect. Absolutely perfect. But also, he was um, uh, un soucié. You know, they would oh. say, like the French chefs, like if you were an associate, then you were like an artist. Yes. So he would know and he'd do this, all the kind of the gest, the right gestures yes. and like smelling something, you know, he'd, yes. he'd do it all in the right way. And uh, that couldn't last because I was just massive. Oh, he used to do this delicious, it was very simple, poulet basquez. It's yeah. just a chicken in a beautiful Basque uh, sauce. So he taught me as well some very basic dishes and when my younger sister went to university, because we hadn't been taught to cook by our dad, because it was too chaotic to go in the kitchen. So for my sister, when she went away to uni, we made her this book of things that you might want to cook. Yeah. But then this guy would put in how to spatch cook a chicken. And she would like, I mean, this is kind, but it's <laughs> absolutely useless. <laughs> Were you just tempted to keep him on because he was a chef? <laughs> would have been a poor reason to stay in a relationship. <laughs> I've stayed in a relationship for far worse reasons than that. But then you graduate with a first hmm. and you go out into the world. <clears throat> What's the plan? I wanted to see if it was possible to earn money being an actor. 
in the way that mum had always done it as a hobby, as in the Amdram yes. stuff. I wanted to see if it could be taken seriously. But my mum said, you won't earn any money, so go to Secretarial College. So I got my first from university um, uh, and I went to Secretarial College in Birmingham, Matthew Bolton College. And I went and did my, you know, for a year, going and doing my typing and my were shorthand. Good, were you good at typing? Yeah, really good. I'm really shorthand. Can you do shorthand? Yeah, yeah I can. So I went, and became, I went and did temping in offices and then I also got a sort of semi-permanent job at the Family Planning Association in Birmingham in the Midlands hub. And so I was doing my typing and shorthand doing letters and also answering the phone when people would phone up and say, I need um, contraception, where do I get it? See, I can already see that you were really good at this because, <laughs> because you've got a, a lovely voice <laughs> that just phone. sounds yeah. so Caring. Caring. <laughs> I'll get you these pills. It's fine. It's fine. No. So, um, yeah, you know you will need to use cream with the diaphragm. That sort of thing. You break out of office life. 91. You land your first big role, Debbie, in BBC Radio 4's The Archers. And then in the early noughties, something absolutely amazing happens. You start in two of the most legendary British comedies of all time. <laughs> You play Fran in Black Books mm. and Dr. Caroline Todd in Greenwood. Mm. And these are back to back. Right. Do you know kind of right from the start with Black Books, which ends up being a four-year chunk of your life, do you, do you know early on this is going to completely change your life? No. No. I'd done a few um, sitcoms, like like a guest appearance in a sitcom or in one that was not ever shown. Yes. Those sorts of ones through the 90s. So I was sort of learning how to do the performance in front of an audience, which is, which is a real skill. Yeah. It's really hard to do, yeah. to, to give an, a performance to an audience that's there, but to keep it very small for a camera. It's quite a hard balancing act. But I was sort of learning to do that. So with them, when I got black books, I sort of knew how to do it, but didn't quite know what the show was. But I don't think any of us did. And apparently Bill Bailey said to me that they didn't know, him and Dylan didn't know either. So they were just watching me <laughs> to see what I was doing. And I was watching them to see what they were doing because they were blatantly funny. And I thought I was just the straight woman in between who they could could set up jokes for them. So we were all just watching each other. And by sort of osmosis, we sort of worked out what we were doing. Since then, you've gone on to have countless roles in TV, film and theatre, including six series of Channel 4's Friday Night Dinner, in which you play mum of the family Jackie Goodman. Now, it's in the title, Dinner, and I've always wondered how you cope with those long days of filming a scene <laughs> where you're all sitting around eating, because that's a real skill. Yeah. Because you can't grimace, can you? You can't, <laughs> you can't go, mm, you've got to look every time like this is the first delicious piece of chicken. Yeah. So how do you do it? So we all learn very quickly to cut up our um, food very small and only eat vegetables. What's the best thing they ever gave you to eat where you went, actually, this is freaking delicious. 
<laughs> well, there's one thing I did say to Robert Popper, who writes um, Friday Night Dinner. I mean, Jackie's not a great cook. <laughs> Because it's always dry chicken and vegetables and potatoes that are, you know, definitely out of a packet, but yeah. they're made to look like they're not. Yeah. I was like, I think she would be a great cook, but yes. he didn't realise that. But anyway, so I, I did, I do love vegetables. You know, if I were grazing yeah. in the in the fridge, I'm a real fan of a sugar snap, yes. and just breaking off whole broccoli florets and popping those in. Love all that. Did you end up feeling maternal towards the boys? Because they were old. You know, they're not little boys. It I wasn't mean, they, they were, were child in, actors. No, they were in their thirties. Yeah. And I'm supposed to be their mum. I thought it was slightly rude. Well, look. Do you know what I mean? Um, I did get a great fondness for them. What I love about those actors is the pair of them are so clever. Yeah. They're so bright. They're so brilliant. Yeah. They're so good at writing, doing stand up and writing their own stuff and you would never know it. And the thing that really got us through, because it was a little bit like being in a big brother house, being yeah. in the house, where we, because it was an actual yeah. house. We weren't allowed to leave. We used to head Boggle. Do you know Boggle? <laughs> yeah. That was the thing that got us through when we'd been together for too long. That was really bonding. And all of them, all of them are brilliant at Boggle. And, uh, and I just always wanting to, why I didn't boggle? want to disappoint them. Why Boggle? Because you never know how long you've got between setups. They say, right, you need to go. So you have to go get off set, go away. You've got a few minutes. So you can't do a big game of articulate. Do you know what I mean? Because it would always be interrupted. But when we were playing Boggle, we could go, up, 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 hold on. And then they would have to let us finish that game. And then we'd mark it later. Now, you've been married to fellow actor and writer Richard Lee for over a quarter of a century. Yeah. I don't like the word proud, but I'm really pleased that we're still married. <laughs> yeah. It's, it's hard. It's really hard, isn't yeah. it? Well, Joe Brand said that marriage is two years of being in love and then another 27 years of saying, who the hell is this dickhead in my house? <laughs> and I always think of I love that. But you see, what I would think is, who the hell is this dickhead in my house? Meaning me. <laughs> oh, it's me. Why, why have I ended up being such a bastard? But you know, we have got, we've got a little secret yeah. about how, what we do every go day. On, go on. Do you want to hear it? I abs- absolutely, I am totally here for relationship guidance. <laughs> yeah. Well, we started off when we were just like stepping out. We were stepping out. We were just yeah. looking, walking around London. We weren't like going out. We were just, you know hanging out mm. and at the end of each day we'd go best bit worst bit what was the oh. best bit of your day and the worst bit of your day and we've done that every day since we met in april 96 and so at the end of the day we go best bit and instead of saying we now don't say worst bit we go what was your most challenging bit and what i know then is that if something happens in the day and it's not appropriate to deal with it then i know that at the end of the day when he says what was your most challenging bit i'll go I think you know. (laughs) (laughs) Was it the bit where you screamed at me and waitress? (laughs) You have two sons and a daughter together. And these were in extremely busy years when you're working constantly. How did you do it? Well, I tell you what I did. I did have a decade off theatre. Yeah. So I didn't do any any live stuff that would take me away in the evenings. And if I did do 
filming in that decade, that mm. first decade of having children, we had a great nanny and our nanny came to work with me and the baby. Yeah. And it was set up that the nanny and the baby would be with me on set. So my nanny and the baby had their own trailer. I had my own room and I breastfed her at 11 and three o'clock. And my husband was looking after our, our sons and, you know, managing that way with other help when if he needed to work or... So Did it was a lot of... feel like leaving the nanny and the baby in the trailer and then just getting in a taxi and going somewhere? <laughs> <laughs> just, and then, like, just going to dinner by yourself. It was going, quite intense. It was so late. It was so late. It was, was really hard for me. <laughs> it was really hard for the nanny. And yeah. she was she did it for eight months, that. Because I was on Black Books, third series, Love Soup and Green Wing at the same time. The schedules all coincided. So we had to do this massive kind of like jigsaw puzzle of where I was going to be. I don't know how you did that. Because I've seen lots of people in television come back onto set with the nanny, brought mm. the nanny, and only been able to do the tiniest amount yeah. because they're knackered yeah. and they're also having trouble delegating mm. and they're just really confused and it all... It's really hard. But I did have a brilliant nanny and I do have a brilliant husband who were all ready to you know, shapeshift with our family. Are and you glad you did it? Yeah. But, and here's the thing that I say quite quietly, there are costs. There yeah. are costs involved in making those difficult decisions because it has an impact on your relationship with your children. And uh, you sort of only find out what those, those effects are kind of down the line. But was there a cost? They, look, they sound like they're amazing kids. They are incredible. I can't quite believe I'm I might cry <gasps> you're allowed to cry everybody I, like most like honestly I think everybody's cried this season really I can't yeah, yeah, quite I believe how brilliant they are given mm. what they have been through these past three years mm. I can't quite believe that they've managed it I feel so impressed and in awe <laughs> mm. sorry <laughs> And they say, they'll say things like, oh, and these people say it's been so difficult for you. It's like, no, it wasn't. We just got on with it. But, you know, they didn't know any difference. But sort of standing outside of it and thinking about what university was, life was like for us. You know, my husband went to university in San Francisco in the 80s, you know, was just like, like living life large. And they couldn't do that. So they have, you know, they've survived a kind of not knowing but I bet that there's a sense of, you know, when you, there's a longing in you that, and you don't quite know what it is you're missing. Yeah. That keeps you forever slightly, like when you, you go, what's that smell? Yeah. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. You go, if I just keep on, I will work it out what that smell is, what that thing is that I'm missing. I love the fact that you can get so emotional though, just even thinking about I your mean, kids. Yeah. They're just... They're so brilliant. Yeah. They're, and I hear people saying, you know, I'm, I feel really ready for motherhood. I mean, I was never ready. I was never ready. Every, I know people say this, you're always, every stage was a mystery. <laughs> every stage I was like, oh, 
Holy surely, now you've got an idea. But you still have a slight expression as if you can't quite believe that that they're they're, they're your kids. No, no. And they're so other. They're so other. I look at them sometimes and I just just don't see any of us in them. They're so complete in themselves, Mm -hmm. their own little universe. And they're teaching me so much about the world. It's so corny to be saying all this. Everybody said it from the beginning of time. Especially this, all this stuff now about um, identity and yes. identity politics and gender yeah. and allowing, yeah. you know, and, and nuance. Because we're so, we, we yes. were brought up yes. with so, this sense of duality of, of the binary nature mm. of like, was it yes, this, that. But they're growing up with nuance, which is so much more complex. Yeah. And I, I, I feel kind of like in awe of... I feel challenged by it. sometimes like yes, well, I, I can't think about this right now. Yes. You know, because my old brain yeah. takes a bit of a while to go, you know, yeah. change gear. But it's really exciting to think differently. You've been a vegetarian mm. for a very long time. Your husband isn't. Mm. Okay, how how do you do meal planning, all of that? Well, mercifully, when I got pregnant, the first thing I wanted was a Burger King. So I went and got that. And then all I wanted to eat was, was ham. My husband said, look, I'll go and get some really great ham. You can smell it. I'll eat it. I went, it's a great plan. Go and do that. So he went and got this beautiful ham. I ate the whole lot. Of all the things for a vegetarian pork. to go for, yeah. pork, pork is the last thing. <laughs> the last. It's the most skin-type, fleshy, yeah. weird-smelling stuff. Even for people that eat ham, especially ham, not ham. even a pork chop. No, didn't want just too chewy, And what did meaty. you just get it into the packet and mm. just eat it like or crisps? Just get a very thin one. And just scrunch it up like a scrunched up piece of paper. Pop the whole thing in. Lovely. But then when after the babies were born, I didn't want it anymore. So between children, I became vegetarian again. Sorry, pescatarian. Yeah. Yeah, so I eat fish. And then after the our daughter's born, so I loved baby, I thought, oh, well, this family are going to grow up eating meat. Mm. It would be a bit annoying to have to do a special side meal for me. So I will concede. I can eat pork. So then I would make, if I made bolognese, I would use very low fat pork mince, Mm. you know, like the organic stuff. Yes. If I was doing a lasagna, I would use pork mince. Do you still do that now? Well, now my sons have become vegetarians. After having had a lifetime, or, you know, they're teenagers of getting as much meat in them as they possibly could. They've now come through university and both vegetarian. And they really like cooking. So that's really lovely seeing kind of vegetarian stuff that I never, I didn't really bother with because I just couldn't be asked to be making vegetarian stuff and stuff that, because they used to think, oh, vegetarian is not enough. I'm still hungry. But I didn't realize that they were teenage boys. So they were just going to be always hungry. It feels like they're at that gorgeous time where they're beginning to cook for you though. Yeah, they do. What are they cooking? Well, my daughter's favorite one is carbonara. It's got ham in it. It's got uh, pancetta. Are you going to eat this ham? Yeah, because it's really thin. Really thin. Yeah, so it yeah. could be something else. If anything, the pig could still be alive, really. It would just, it literally just, just have to be, just literally just it, scrape a little bit yeah, off Yeah, it could just be like dandruff. It's pork dandruff is what that is. It's so thin. 
you know, stuff that's always coming off you all the time. They just collect that up, put it in a packet, sell it for them. It's the most expensive. The pig would thank you. They would say, you feel so much lighter. Yeah, the pig gets the money, win, win, win. And she makes a really great carbonara. That's her dish. And then um, my middle son will do like, you know, he'll get some beautiful sourdough and then he'll layer up various different things like there'll be like maybe an olive tapenade and then a tiny bit of sriracha and then some lime smashed avocado and then maybe a little bit of scrambled egg or poached egg and then some balsamic glaze and then um my older son loves curry so he'll do he'll do all that. So that's very nice, a lovely mm. little yeah circle. With my dad serving up stuff that you never quite knew what was in my dad's curry, <laughs> but you know my eldest will do. It'll be all vegetables and you know fresh spices and lovely that they do that. What is next on the IMDb page <laughs> of? This last year, uh, at the end of last year, I was filming on two TV shows. One is for Paramount Plus, which is the origin story or prequel to the film Sexy Beast. I mean, look, right. (laughs) Now, if you've not watched Sexy Beast, it is an absolutely classic movie starring Ray Winston and Ben Kingsley. It's about an ex-gang member who's went to live abroad to escape his past, but his past finds him for one last heist. It's absolutely amazing. Did you love that film? I think it's one of the greatest films ever made. So this is the origin story. Yeah. And I play a new character that you don't see in the film. Okay. Who, I think I'm allowed to say this, I play the Don Logan, that's the Ben Kingsley character's older sister. Okay in the absence of of a mother, has brought him up and has uh, treated him so badly that it creates the monster that you see in the film. I'm only playing baddies. That's all I'm doing. You seem like you're in a really happy point in your life. Ah, that's a lovely thing to hear. Well, I I probably present well. (laughs) (laughs) Um, I I think life's really, really hard. I think it's really hard. It, it's always been hard. And I think we've been through some really hard times and we're in some really challenging times. And I think that I love your name. I love your name, Grace Dent. I think my sort of way of looking at life is that that grace is everywhere, but you have to be available to it and you're going to get dented. <gasps> so true. <laughs> Tamsin Greg. Thank you so much for comforting with me. Oh, Grayston, I have had such a lovely time and I'm, diff- I'm not going to leave anything on this plate. This episode of Comfort Eating was produced by Gabriella Jones. The executive producer is Lucy Greenwell. The music was written by Axel Cacoutier. Mixing and sound design was by Solomon King. If you like comfort eating, then please go and leave us a review. And you can follow or subscribe so you never miss an episode. See you next week. This is The Guardian. Hold up. 
Head over to Hulu this March, where our new shows and movies will keep you streaming all month long. Catch the acclaimed movie All of Us Strangers, starring Paul Mescal and Andrew Scott. Stream the new Hulu original limited series We Were the Lucky Ones with Joey King and Logan Lerman. And don't forget about Grey's Anatomy. Every Grey's episode ever is now streaming on Hulu. So, what are you waiting for? Go stream something new on Hulu. This message comes from BOF sponsor eBay. You'll know real when you get it. It'll say eBay Authenticity Guarantee. And you'll feel it. Maybe it's a head-turning handbag, a watch that says it all, jewellery that makes you look like the gem, or sneakers and streetwear so fresh every step feels fly. eBay gets it. So look for the blue check mark next to that thing you love and be confident that every inch, stitch, sole and logo is checked by experts. With eBay Authenticity Guarantee, you can trust that feeling of real is always in reach. Ensure your next purchase is the real deal. Visit ebay.com for terms.